This is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Crit season is upon us, but let's all be honest, is there ever a time that it's not right for crit season? As we've heard from other guests on this show, it's exciting, it's intense, it's short, it's capable of being done in a downtown setting. It's exactly what we need to bring fans into the sport and to keep people interested. A lot of us dive in headfirst into a criterium, really not knowing what we're going to find in those first couple of ones. But what if you took on top of not having a lot of experience in the American criterium circuit and add to it not being from the United States? While I was at Intelligentsia, or Intelli as those in the know seem to call it, I had an opportunity to sit down and talk with a couple of bike racers from outside of the United States about what their experiences were like and what it was that drew them to the American crit scene. I got a chance to talk with Jen Darmody and Ali Sheehan of Butcherbox Cycling. Jen is from Australia and Ali is from England. Both of them started this somewhat crazy journey of coming to the United States a few months ago and when they got here they went in deep and they went in fast starting at either the Armed Forces Cycling Classic or at New England Crit Week. By the time I caught up with them at Intelli, they had been racing here in the United States for a couple of weeks, bordering on a month, and they were really starting to get the flow of it. I wanted to find out why, why it was that they came here, why it was that they wanted to participate, and what it is that they're learning from this experience. Jen Darmody, I'm here from Australia, guest riding for ButcherBox. And at home, I obviously race for an Australian team, uh, and they're called Sydney Uni Staminade. I'm Ali Sheehan, um, I'm from the UK. In the UK, I race for the team Bianchi Dharma, um, and here I'm guest riding for ButcherBox. In following ButcherBox on Instagram at ButcherBox Racing, you, you come to learn that when the team travels, they travel with food. There was a box of butcher box sent ahead to the host house that Allie and Jen were staying at. And in it was all sorts of high quality meat from butcher box. And it was all for the hosts and for those riders who were staying there. It was a great way to introduce the host families throughout the country to this concept of subscription meat service. And it was also a really great way to make sure that the athletes who were racing for them were being fed. So I wanted to find out, had they ever ate so well on travel? Um, No, we had a butcher box delivery um, and the meat is exquisite. Um, We've been grilling it every night. Um, It's just been perfect recovery food and fueling for the next day. And your host house at Intelligentsia Cup, they're, they're pulled up all the stops for you guys. So last night we had burgers for dinner um, and they took our orders before the race. We had to write down what we'd like. Um, we returned home and they'd cooked all the burgers, put them in little foil, like foil wraps and put our names on them ready to eat. So this brings us to chapter one of this episode. Welcome to America. We drive on the right side here. In both cases, both Jenny and Allie, this was their first time coming to the United States to bike race. They chose to come in the middle of the summer and in the middle of the hardest section of criterium racing that is offered in the United States. With events like the Armed Forces Cycling Classic, 
the Tulsa Tough, New England Crit Week, Intelligentsia, Reading Radsport. The list was formidable. So it begs the question, why do this? We have nothing like this at home, sadly. The opportunity to come over and race a series of races back to back, three days, ten days, is extremely unique for us. And even more than that, it's the opportunity to race in large bunches of women, uh, aggressive, fast racing. And to be able to do that back to back, there's no better way to learn how to race in that environment. We have amazing racing at home, uh, some incredible road racing and also crit racing, but we just don't have the numbers that you get over here. And so our chances to ride in big bunches is pretty rare. I had the opportunity to race uh, with my teams in the Uni Staminade in a couple of UCI races in January, the Herald Sun Tour and the Cadell's Road Race. And it was a huge eye-opener for me because all of a sudden you're racing in bunches of 100 women and I had no idea what to do with myself. And I realised that I needed to learn the skills to be able to tackle that environment. And this is, I think, one of the best places to do that in the world. And that message is clearly out there. And that draws so many incredibly talented Australian racers, so many talented Mexican racers, Argentinians, Swiss. So many of the voices that I heard around me during the course of this week had accents and there has to be a good reason why. The Australian riders over here is because we've had some amazing Australian riders come and do it before us. Uh, the obvious ones sticking in my mind, and especially for me, are people like Rebecca Wysak and Peter Mullins. You know, we've had the chance to ride with while we've been here. But those girls have been coming here for years now and they're bringing the good news back home, essentially, and I suppose, yeah, exposing the opportunity um, that you get over here. And I think that's played a really huge role in seeing these sort of drones of, like, women coming over from Australia to come and race the summer series. Obviously, it's winter at home, so it's a great opportunity to get out of winter, but it's more about making you a way better racer. I was inspired by the Harriet Owens of the cycling world. Um, she's a British rider who's come over here and as she's been highly su successful. Um, I looked at her and I thought, why can't I be her? You know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of that. Evidently, she is massively talented, has an amazing sprint. But I, I was a, a crit racer who loves crits in the UK and I saw a scene out here that is bigger and better. Um, I had an idea that I wanted to do it. I verbalised that idea and um, to my surprise, people said, why, won't, why don't you go out to America? Why don't you just go big and ride your bike? So um, that's what I've done. <laughs> I, I haven't cut the normal path that British riders do. The normal thing is um, you do your national circuit series, your national road series, you pop over to Belgium to do some Kermesses because that's very accessible for, for a UK rider. Um, but with my skill set being so crit-focused, um, it made a lot of sense to, to make the jump to come over here. 
Expectations and reality often differ wildly. There's been many races where I'm sure all of us have shown up and thought that we knew it would be hard, but then 30 seconds after the whistle goes, you suddenly realize that you sorely underestimated exactly how hard it would be. How do those expectations and reality get shaded when you're coming from so far away? It has meant every expectation. I expected the racing to be extremely competitive and aggressive. I expected the bunches to be huge. I expected the crowds to be amazing and for the racing to be really well organized. And it honestly has been. Probably one of the highlights uh, that really sort of hit all those things on the head was Tulsa. Uh, completely out of my depth, I think, for me, rocking up and racing against 120 women <laughs> after being here for a week or so. It just blew my mind. To try and make a mark, um, I'm not sure I've succeeded at the moment. Um, I've definitely been getting round the races, um, but my goal was, you know, to hit top 20s, to then try and hit top 10s. Um, in terms of the the strength of field here, I hadn't I mean, I knew it was going to be a challenge. Um, certainly it's something like New England Crit Week. I was, you know, well within myself. We performed well as a team. We did things like lead out trains. Um, in telly, it's a step up again. Um, and I've been learning so much. The the bunch the bunch sizes are not something I'm particularly phased by because um, I've been over to Belgium and the, you get very big bunches over there. Um, so that's something I'm quite happy to do. But certainly... In the field sprints, um, I find myself, I'm in a good position with maybe like three to go, um, and then I find myself getting swarmed, and there's that, just that, I guess it's um, the kind of that Lombardi um, win-at-all-costs attitude that that is, is here, um, that everybody wants to win, and you have to want to win even more than everybody else does. <laughs> Um, and at the moment, I haven't quite succeeded in really sharpening my elbows um, and, you know, placing, but um, we're getting there. Mythology and folklore has it that America was the place where people would come to to test themselves out. Whatever the issues or problems that they were facing in the countries and places that they came from, they could come to the United States and they could test their mettle and hard work would ultimately prove that they were correct and that this was a land of opportunity. That may may not be true historically, but when it comes down to why specific people end up coming to the United States and trying something like what Jen and, and Allie did here, it comes from people who were there before them. And there's somebody who opens the door to them. The bike racing community is obviously only so large and we rely inherently on those people who came before us and those people who want to pay it forward. I got really lucky. Uh, Minda helped my team in Australia during the summer, uh, helped DS us and so we got connected that way. And Minda had got an invite from Leslie Tim who's our team manager for the women's side of the team to come over and I got in touch with Minda and that's sort of how it started and ended. Um, so as I explained earlier I had this slightly outrageous dream that I wanted to come and race in America so 
I explain this to my family, I explain this to my coach Kylie um, at 42 Degrees Coaching, um, that this is what I want to do. So they said, okay, let's try and make this happen. I talked to my team um, in the UK, they were massively supportive, um, which is amazing. Um, and my team mechanic, Caroline, she'd been on a coaching course in Switzerland, and there she'd met Kathy at DNA Cycling. Um, so she linked me up with Kathy. Kathy was not able to help, um, but she passed me on to Fearless Femme. Fearless Femme were also not able to help, but passed me on to ButcherBox. <laughs> um, and that's where I met Leslie. Um, we talked over the phone, and then we sp spoke with Steve Cullen, the, the DS of the whole team. Um, and they said, um, we'd like to, like to get you on board, um, which... It felt like a long journey to get where we, we got, but um, with some, um, a little bit of tenacity, um, I got a guest ride. I had a chance to talk with Steve Cullen, the DS for ButcherBox, after the Westchester Criterium. We spent a considerable amount of time talking about the women's team, and he was just so incredibly complimentary and so incredibly enthused about the way that this team organically grew together even though it was something that was created almost spontaneously and from riders all across the globe. There had to be something more than just a bunch of people who wanted to be together on bikes wearing the same kit. The team has just mashed together so beautifully. I felt really lucky because I have a really beautiful team at home of really incredible women and to come over here, I, I certainly didn't expect it to, you know, be as good as that. But it has just been great. Everyone has uh, a very unique personality, and uh, I think most importantly, is all here. They're all here for the same reason. So it's been incredible. We all want to ride bikes. We all want to be successful. Um, and particularly within um, New England Crit Week, um, I definitely saw that come together. So there was a day where we had a plan. We wanted to get a rider up the road. That particular rider on the day was Jen. Jen got up the road. We all worked on the front to make sure that that brake stayed away. With about three or four laps to go and a lead-out train, Kristen absolutely nails the lead-out. And I was sweeping on the back of Minda to make sure that no one came past her because she was the sprinter on the day. And I actually rolled in behind her because we went so fast and drilled it so well, just nobody came past us. We all need a base camp, whether that's after a long week of racing or after a hard couple of days of training. It's great to go home and be among your own things. But when you come from Australia or you come from the United Kingdom, you can't exactly just head on home for the weekend after you finish up the New England Crit Week or you finish up the Tour of America's Dairyland. There's something about being on the road, though, something about being around other people and, and having a bunch of people who are together to have a similar unified goal. But when it's all said and done... Getting the opportunity just to be a tourist for a few minutes in a country that's not your own ha can have some really tremendous benefits. It's exhausting being a tourist. And I've been here for two months now, and I've been on the road that whole time. But I feel like I'm at home. You, The whole environment of staying in host housing means that you really settle in 
and you're cooking your own food and you're sleeping in a real bed and it's sustainable. I've had a few days hanging out in New York, which was my big touristy, you know, travel time. Uh, But besides that, we've really been living the American lifestyle, just in a bunch of different towns. (laughs) time at the end of my travels to do some more of the touristy things um once the bike riding is is done um but we in the middle of our road trip to get here actually we did stop off and see the Niagara Falls which was incredible I had seen the Niagara Falls before from the Canadian side um but this was when I was maybe 12 so a lot younger um and I'd really forgotten you know the the enormity of it um it was quite incredible and I think it kind of sums up America as a whole just the enormity of the country (laughs) is is awesome we'd mainly be staying with host families host housing isn't something we have in the UK um I've been really taken aback by the generosity of people um and it's definitely a format I think we should roll out because it's a great idea the reality is when you spend so much time on the road you sometimes forget about the little things that you need to do in order to make sure you keep competing at the highest level and by little things I mean the really big things getting the proper amount of sleep getting the right amount of nutrition and nutrients And simply just not eating McDonald's and Wendy's on every single occasion that you can possibly have. So when you have a team nutritionist, when you've got a registered dietitian who's traveling with you, it does remind you of the value and importance of eating well. And also, I think it really encourages you to think twice about whether or not you're going to stop off for a Frosty or an Oreo McFlurry extremely healthy we've there's been a lot of you know mid car trip raw cucumbers and and boiled eggs (laughs) i've been really happy about it (laughs) because i mean i i'm not someone who runs off well from you know your mcdonald's or your wendy's or whatever you know food is fuel that that's the bottom line um and having someone like Kristen who is an absolute wealth of knowledge um has been amazing so often we'll we'll do a meal prep so we'll have proper food on the road um I've eaten food that I haven't really eaten before like tofu um it's really good cooked well (laughs) yeah we've we've had some great food great dishes we've had picnics with quiches we made quiches dream team (laughs) I think it's the reason why we're doing so well and we're still so sprightly after, you know, two months of this racing is because we're eating incredibly well. Pre-race and post-race, food is a huge focus and we all pull together and and cook really good food. Yeah, it's very hard to get a bad meal in when Kristen is around. We've arrived at chapter two of our interview. Chapter two, home sweet home. When this adventure ended for Jen and Allie, they had to go home. They had to go back to what was their normal life and try to get back to doing the things that they were doing at home before they came, but taking the lessons that they had learned and the experiences that they had shared with them. But the question remains, what did they bring home with them from this journey across the United States? And what was there at home waiting for them? 
I work part-time as a receptionist um, for the NHS, doing reception administration work. Um, it's a job that allows me to ride bikes and earn some money. Uh, up until March this year, I was really a full-blown corporate lawyer. I mean, this might surprise everybody, but it doesn't work too well with your whole cycling routine. So uh, I then moved into teaching at the law school that I studied at. So this year I've been part-time teaching, part-time writing, which has been amazing. So I'll head back home for the start of semester two. Money does make the world go around. No matter how you want to try to separate it out, this adventure of being a bike racer and going from series to series or even race to race requires money. We try our best to offset those costs through sponsorship, but in the end, when you take time off of work and when you take time away from your home base, you're going to spend money and everybody needs to be prepared for that bill to eventually come due. But when you're coming from across oceans, those considerations really have to go into even greater effect. It's ironic that we have this conversation at this point in time because of the ongoing litigation between the U.S. Women's National Team and the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation, where they're trying to get equal pay and equal treatment for the women as compared to the men. And it appears that the treatment is somewhat endemic across the world where men's sport is a little bit better funded than women's sport on a whole. And Jen and Allie have to confront those realities every single day, and they really have to factor it in when they made this decision to come across the ocean. I came over here with very little expectation in terms of prize money because I'm extremely new to the sport. And so that was not a goal for me. The goal was to come over here and to learn some skills really quickly because I want to progress and I know that I need to progress quickly. I saved, obviously, to come here and knew that I would blow a bit in my savings, but I also did fundraising. And I actually wrote an article about this before I came because it amazed me that very few female athletes tend to fundraise when they come over to America or go to Europe to race for the summer, despite it having a significant impact on our sport at home and despite the fact that compared to our male counterparts, we don't get any money to come over and race. Our teams don't have the fundraising to be able to support us to race overseas. Uh, you've got to do it yourself. Women at home who are racing bikes, supporting themselves to do it. What does that mean? It means they have full-time, part-time jobs. What does that mean? It means you can only train part-time. That's obviously, everybody knows this, a huge barrier to the progression of the sport. Oh, I'm not rolling in pounds, <laughs> for sure. Um, no, the the setup um, is, is very similar to, to Australia. Um, if you're within the, the British Cycling setup, you're obviously a supported rider. If not, then you're either going to have to be working or, you know, your family's going to have to be supporting you. Your husband's going to have to be supporting you. There's got to be some support network or you're going to have to fund it because 
there are teams out there like my team who support really well in terms of they provide bikes, they provide travel and accommodation money, our sponsors are amazing, they give us nutrition, skin care, they're fabulous. But the bottom line is you don't get paid, you need to work. <laughs> What skincare are you getting from your sponsors? We are sponsored by um, a lovely company called um, CJ Skin Health. They uh, have two products. Um, they have an active protect um, and an active cleanse. Um, so the cleanse is something that I would use um, daily um, and that's just like your cleanser for your face. Um, and then the active protect um, is has SPF 30 in it, um, which I wear daily. Hence, um, I have not tanned very well. <laughs> I'd also use a sun cream um, just for elsewhere if needed. But I've definitely found since using it, um, my skin's been a lot better um, and I've got less freckles than I did. <laughs> recently, and I don't know if it's recently or if I just found it recently, uh, Strava put out a worldwide heat map uh, or an updated worldwide heat map of where people ride. When I started talking to you guys a few days ago about doing this, had just looked at it and so I was just like, wow, this is interesting to see where, where it's the brightest and where it's not so bright. And you know, I think a lot of people don't realize how massive a country Australia is, but when it comes down to the bike riding part of Australia, there's the East Coast, the Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, that area, where there's a lot of riding. Then there's this black void in the middle, and then there's this little dot over here that's Perth. What's the cycling community like in Sydney, in Australia, in the East Coast? Is it, do you travel a lot to get to races, or is everything right in your front yard? We do travel a lot. There is a lot of racing on the East Coast, but the East Coast of Australia is pretty huge. So for our National Road Series, we travel all the way from northern New South Wales, southern Queensland, and then all the way down into Victoria. I guess similar to some of the road trips we've done here, where you might be doing 10, 12-hour drives in the van to be able to get to certain races. Uh, like Ali touched on earlier, we don't, despite that, we don't have a host housing system at home. And so our teams have to fund travel, obviously, but then also accommodation by themselves. Now, what about going all the way over to Perth? Does that happen? That does not happen. Because right, Perth is the most geographically remote major city in the world. I mean, it's on the West Coast, and it's thousands of kilometers uh, away from anything in Asia or India, and then thousands of kilometers away from anything on the East Coast. So is, is this like oil and water? It just doesn't mix? It doesn't mix. I mean, the cost of getting over to Perth is huge. No team could afford to do it. Uh, so it really is, yeah, focused around the East Coast. Each city, we don't obviously don't have many major cities in Australia, but each city has a really strong riding scene. And in Sydney, uh, we're really lucky to be fueled by amazing club riding and each club will have a particular race that they'll host in the summer. It might be weekly or it might be a monthly road race. For my club, Sydney Uni Velo, we host a race at a very famous park in Sydney called Heffron Park which would really give a lot of the Milwaukee roads a run for their money. 
it's a real go track, but it breeds some really tough, great riders out of there. We love handicap riding, which is amazing for our women. My team of women are some of the only girls that really will rock up and do these races in Sydney. What's a handicap ride? Oh, so we'll have, well, at Heffron Park during summer, Tuesday nights or on the weekend, there'll be three grades, A grade, B grade and C grade. A grade will have to catch B grade once, B grade, oh, sorry, A grade will have to catch C grade twice, B grade will have to catch C grade once. Once the pack all comes together, it's every man for himself, every woman for himself. But for us, it's a super unique opportunity because there might be 100 men by the time you get the whole field together, three women, four women, (laughs) all battling it out. Yeah, so the ride scene is is actually pretty great. And Ali, when you look at the same Strava map, you live basically right on the outskirts of Ground Zero of the world's primary bike racing territory. That swath from London down to northern Italy is just bright orange or yellow or red or whatever color you've set it up. What's it like to be there? Um, So in Somerset, I actually have to travel quite a lot for races. Um, The southwest is not known for bike racing, although we have beautiful kind of, so the geography is beautiful, the cycling scene is not very big, so I find myself travelling up north in the UK quite a lot. Um, Our team manager is always driving us up and down the country, Um, but as you say, in terms of getting across to Europe, it's very accessible, so we can, you know, get the Eurotunnel over to Belgium. Once you get into France, you can be into Belgium within two hours. Um, you can hop over for the weekend, get a couple races in, and that's just amazing experience. Um, so in, in terms of that, um, it, it makes the cycling seem very accessible. What's the thing, thinking about Somerset, thinking about England and the racing in England, what's the thing that the average crit racer in the United States would be most shocked if they went and they hopped into a race in Yorkshire? In terms of a crit race, probably how slim the roads are. So some of these roads, you literally get a car down them. And I mean a car, not a van, a car. (laughs) Um, Also, the roads can be quite rough. You can have there's, there's this particular crit called Winchester Crit. That's kind of in the Midlands-ish, two hours away from Somerset. It's the twistiest criterion race you have ever, ever seen. So I, I did the race this year. I knew I needed to be in that top 10 at the front of the race. Otherwise, the race was going to go. Within about three laps of this race, I found myself in a five person breakaway I say a breakaway it was literally because the other girls couldn't get around the corners fast enough you know it wasn't a let's have a breakaway it was just that the courses are so technical and so tight and have cobbles and has so much going on that if you're not there you're just not there (laughs) in America the starts of the races are quite kind of you want to be near the front but if you want to move up you can move up in the UK, if you're not there, then the race could be up the road and you're never going to see it. So you don't have eight-lane, wide-open, pro-crit championships? We, we don't, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> May I recommend bulldozing all of your towns and starting over? Um, 
I mean, I feel like the, the, the local planners might have something to say about that, but I like your suggestion. <laughs> so, Jen, what's the thing, because you're leaving us in a week and a half, what is the thing about American racing that you're oddly most going to miss when you go home? The back-to-back nature of it. It's such an amazing feeling to go out and race, stuff it up, and be like, oh, well, I just won't do that tomorrow. And every day you're learning and then you're implementing it the next day. You're not waiting a month for another aggressive race with 50 women. You are doing it back to back for 10 days. I'll really miss that. What about racing in camo? Are you going to miss your camouflage kit? Of course I am. Although in saying this, our team at home has beautiful kit. Bright pink, so I am going back to some, you know, pretty ace kit. What about you, Allie? What do you what do you look like back in England? Um, so at home, I ride for Team Bianchi Dharma. So we have the beautiful Celeste Bianchi bikes and uh, team to ma- um, team kit to match. Um, our team hashtag is uh, Celeste is best, um, and I I have to agree, Celeste is pretty great. Um, but I, I felt surprisingly um, not a term I usually use, but badass <laughs> in the uh, in the Virtual Box kit. Um, it's very cool. You don't get anything quite as quite as wavy as that in the UK. You know, wavy, 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 wavy gums. <laughs> I have no idea what those words mean in that so, sentence. A wavy gum is like, you know, when you're looking pretty cool. We've arrived at chapter three of our episode. Chapter three, learning. The experience for Allie and Jen was as much about the actual racing as it was about learning about themselves, learning about becoming better bike racers, and learning about just living and enjoying life. I'm reminded that after a race, or a race where something went wrong, I I got dropped, I didn't end up placing as high as I wanted to, that a lot of this sport is not about what happens on any given Sunday or any given Saturday, but about your evolution, the evolution that you go through as a bike racer and as a person. Are you learning something? If you learn something about yourself or about the way that you race, then no matter what the result is, there is a positive or a net value that comes out of it. People actually remind me and ask me, well, did you learn? And I guess it wasn't a complete waste. And when it comes down to doing something as audacious, as traveling across oceans, there has to be a really great learning value that comes with it just naturally. Yes, I wanted to come here, I wanted to race, and I wanted to learn. And I've done a lot of that. I've done a lot of learning. I think learning on the bike as well as off the bike, there's been a lot more 
variables that I that I haven't hadn't taken into account. For example, I'm a very pale person. It's very it's been very warm while I've been here. That's been a challenge. Um, but I I've got past that. Learned ways to deal with that. The the ice socks, keeping as cool as you can before a race. Calling myself down after a race, um, as I find I have a very bad time afterwards. <laughs> And things like traveling, traveling takes a lot of energy, kind of away from the racing, being in different host housing, you know, you're sharing bedrooms with people that you you don't, you know, but you know, they're, they're different people, they're new people. What do you think you've taught your teammates? You taught me how to make a quiche. <laughs> Thanks, Al. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good bit of Aussie grit, I think. Um, we're a pretty positive bunch of people and it's pretty hard to get us down. We don't like to take life too seriously. So I think we, we bring a bit of that, you know, a bit of cheek and a bit of fun into the group. Yeah, sure, we're all here to race bikes and we're all here to learn and progress. But at the end of the day, we're bloody lucky to have this opportunity to be here racing. And I think we're pretty good at reminding people just how, you know, lucky we are to be doing this. Um, and that you've got to have fun. The reality with sport is that if you're not loving it and if it's not fun, you can't find the fun in it, you're never going to be any good or you're going to be good for only a very short period of time. So if you can't nail that part of the sport, you might as well give up now. So Allie, will you do this again? I would love to do this again. I've been overwhelmed by the, the way that the girls welcomed me into the team. I wasn't sure how the team unit was gonna gel. The racing out here has been everything and more I, I thought it might be. Um, and yeah, I've got an unfinished business. Um, I didn't quite achieve what I want to. I've still got some days left, but I haven't quite achieved what I wanted to. Um, but I feel there's, there's room for improvement. If I can do it again, I would love to. <laughs> We've done a lot of chatting at races. So if people see us at a race, like, please come up and say hi and introduce yourself because we want to get to know everybody as much as you know people might want to come and meet us as well. We've met a ton of people uh, just through that uh, environment, this trip. And that's amazing for us. We're not locals, you know. We want to hear about your town and we want to hear about your cities and, and yeah, get to know people. For example, um, the other day we met a lady called Mary and she gave us her kombucha that she'd made herself, which was very cool, you know. <laughs> I got homemade moonshine yesterday. Did you? <laughs> we'll have to wait till next year for you to come back. Next year, guys, I'll be here. Promise. Well, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on this bonus episode here in Season 1 of No Training Wheels. A special thank you to Kristen Arnold and Minda Murray for helping set up this incredible opportunity to sit down and talk with Jen and Allie about their experiences. All the music on this week's episode was from podcastmusic.com. And while the edits are, of course, done by me, this week I was excited to have executive producer Kristen Pearson on board to help guide us through the, uh, the content and through all of the ins and outs of making this a great episode. 
Remember to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere where you get your podcast. Go take a look at the new website, notrainingwheelspod.com. It's got plenty of extras and a, a couple special features with each episode, trying to create more and more as we go through and find some new pictures of some racers and help make it more of a multimedia experience. We've got two more great guests coming up for this season. Uh, We'll be sitting down and talking with Bill Scheichen shortly, and then culminating with a great interview with Justin Williams. So until next time, see you at MacArthur Boulevard.